Jesus loved the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were good people. They were probably, I'm being a bit facetious here, but they were pastors and elders and missionaries and Bible study leaders and prayer warriors. They led small groups and short-term mission trips. They were super tithers. They were nursery workers, worship leaders, high school youth group leaders. They probably had perfect temple attendance. They memorized entire books of the Old Testament. They gave everything they had to the service of God and they were morally upright. And they obeyed the law with every ounce of strength they had. I know. And Jesus got so, so, so mad at them. He even called them names. You snakes, he said. You brood of vipers. You posers, you fakers, you sons of hell. Why? What were they doing so wrong? Why would Jesus be so angry at the people who were trying to do all the right things? Well, we better know the answers to these questions because the truth is, my good church-going friends, if anyone is at risk of accidentally ending up like the Pharisees, it is us. Whoops, I'm a Pharisee, and so are you. So we're spending the next four weeks looking at four of the ways that the Pharisees of Jesus' day both believed and behaved and that we want to try to avoid. Things like getting overly focused on the rules, making sure we keep them and everybody else does too. Things like excluding other people from the entrance to the kingdom of heaven and majoring in the minors and demanding that other people do the same. And not to be overly dramatic here, But if you read the Gospel of Matthew chapter 23, which is kind of the basic text that we're pulling this teaching from, you will quickly see that Jesus wasn't messing around with this stuff. So this is just fair warning. You might feel a little bit uncomfortable during this series. And as we make our way through these next four weeks, I want you to do something that we don't often do as we read about the Pharisees, especially because it makes us uncomfortable. I want us to listen to the words of Jesus and to these teachings as if we were or are the Pharisees. Because if we don't do this, if we don't read it or hear the text like this, we will always, whoops, find ourselves listening as if these messages are for someone else which is, I think, an incredibly dangerous way to listen to them. So this morning, here is the whoops that I want to look at. Whoops, I'm I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. And the word for hypocrite literally means to be a play actor or a performer operating behind a mask. Listen to how Jesus talks about the Pharisees in a couple passages from Matthew 23 and then the text 
that I wanna really focus on for the rest of the morning. This is what it says, Matthew 23, starting with verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Everything they do is done for people to see. And then he really starts in, in verse 25. Woe to you. I'm not sure what woe means, but it's bad. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Pretty clear, right? He's saying to them, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, as right with God, and oh, how you love that. But you're just play acting, right? He's talking about religion for show. Religion for showing off. And this idea of thinking highly of ourselves because we do good religious things and therefore thinking less of others, especially of irreligious people, of people we would consider to be sinners, comparing ourselves to them and finding ourselves, whoops, the winners, you know? Hashtag winning. I mean, I do this. Don't you do this? You're lying if you don't do this. You do this, hoping somebody will see me when I'm doing something good, like working in the nursery. Oh, wait a minute, I don't do that. Uh, picking up trash or being kind to someone, hoping that maybe one of you will see me so that I can get caught and get credit and then act all humble and then go home and feel smug with God about how good I am. Or maybe feeling proud at high V after church, because I have my church clothes on, and those other people are just shopping. <laughs> you know you do it. Or tisk, tisk, tisking about someone caught in a morally compromising situation, knowing I would never be. Or praying in public so that people can see and hear how spiritual I am while they just dig into their nachos like a bunch of heathen. Whoops. See, Jesus tells a story about this that I think is really, really helpful for us. I hope it's helpful for you this morning. It's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18 and I'm just gonna read my way through it and we're gonna talk our way through it and see if Jesus doesn't have a few things to teach us. Luke chapter 18 starting with verse nine. This is how Luke starts it. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, 
Let that sink in. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. See, this is a parable for all of us who who have secretly thought at one time or another that we're doing pretty good stuff for God, right? We're the righteous ones. And this is a parable for all of us who have ever in some way, shape, or form decided another human being is just a little less worthy than me. The the actual Greek word or phrase for look down on, you know it says they counted themselves as righteous and looked down on everyone else. It means to count as nothing, which is something I do. I decide another human being maybe somebody who looks different or votes different or acts different or believes differently or comes from another country doesn't count, doesn't matter to God. Whoops, I'm a Pharisee. This is a story for us. This is a story for us in this moment, in this moment in history. Jesus starts the story and says, two men, went up to the temple to pray. And this is important for us to understand what was happening here in the story. There were actually two daily worship services at the temple. And that's where these men were heading, to one of these worship services. And during this service, the priest, the Jewish priest, sacrificed a lamb to atone or make amends for the daily sins of the people. And after the sacrifice was made, part of that sacrifice was burned. And that incense of the sacrifice rose to God. And the people offered their personal prayers to God at that moment when the incense of the sacrifice was rising because the sacrifice had covered their sin and the communication lines to God were now open. It was a little bit like not having cell reception and then all of a sudden having it, right, with God. Like, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? So this is where the men were headed, to the corporate worship service of the day, to pray during that time after the lamb was slain. Jesus continues, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee, again, remember, this is a man devoted to the law of God and the avoidance of sin. He would have been welcomed into any church and given a highly visible and responsible position. Maybe he would be even teaching this sermon right now. Whoops. (laughs) The tax collector was a traitor to his people. He cheated his own Jewish friends, relatives, and neighbors by demanding excessive taxes, all to be paid to the occupying Roman government, except for a little tiny bit he skimmed off the top for himself. Most of these guys were corrupt, they were cheaters, they were despised, They were denied civil rights then by the Jewish population. They were considered unclean, impure, and deeply sinful. They were not welcome in any church. Nobody liked this guy, probably not even his own mom. Jesus continues. So these two guys heading to the temple. The Pharisee, Jesus said, stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, 
robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Dude, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Some translations say the Pharisee stood at a distance and prayed about himself, which is actually what he did. Have you ever been around a person like this? Have you ever been this person? See, prayer for the Jew was supposed to include two things. Thanksgiving to God for all of his good gifts and then requests for that person's needs. If you'll notice, the Pharisee does neither of these things. In fact, this is not really even a prayer, is it? It's more like a lecture to the people around him. He is like fake, humbly, letting them all know who is right, him, and who is wrong, this tax collector. Have you ever had someone pray at you during a prayer? When Chuck and I got first married, we had cockroaches in our apartment, just kind of the way that went. And I once let a young man who was very devout, devout a young man from our church, know that I hated those roaches. And so then I invited him over for dinner. And he then, while praying for our meal, before I served him a meal at our humble roach motel of an apartment, during his prayer, asked God to forgive me for being so shallow and fussy about roaches when many people in the world had no home. I loved him so much for doing that. You guys know I'm joking. You're all like, did she? If I had a red card like refs do in soccer matches, I would have thrown it at him, as well as the casserole I made, because it probably had a roach in it for all I knew. I was so livid at this guy. But in ways more subtle, I do this, and I bet some of you do too. Whoops. The Pharisees' sham prayer continues. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Listen, that Pharisee was describing aloud all the good things he does for God, which I sometimes do, at least in my own head. And I want you to notice in his prayer that everything about what he's praying about his understanding of what sin is and what virtue is is all completely external. It's all about keeping the rules. I don't rob, I don't steal, I don't cheat. And then he cites all the external good things he does. He lists them for God like he's writing a grocery list. I do fast twice a week. I do tithe on all I own. But let me stop here for a moment and tell you what he's doing because we miss this detail. Jewish law only prescribed fasting one time a year. This guy's fasting a hundred times or more a year. I'm sure everyone in his third grade class loved this kid. And he was only required to tithe on grain, wine, and oil, but this guy's tithing on everything he owns. You know what, Professor, I know you said just a five-page paper, but I love this topic so much, I just wrote a 60-page paper, I don't know what happened. 
I mean, Carla's gonna talk about this and so will Jeff, but this is classic Pharisee, you guys, classic. What I call the add and judge routine. You take a command, I want you to fast on the Day of Atonement. You add to it, I'm gonna fast twice a week when you don't have to. You become proud of your own discipline and your excessive demonstration of godliness and then you judge other people who don't do it, right? The scriptures say don't get drunk. Well, I'm not even gonna have a beer with the Super Bowl, not like those tax collectors I'm gonna watch the game with and I'm gonna kinda let them know how much holier I am than them. It seems harmless, even admirable on the surface. But whoops, I'm a Pharisee. Everything this man talks about is external and about himself to be seen by men. And the outside of his cup is so shiny. And I think you can tell by the way he talked about the tax collector that he believed he was maybe even called by God to issue judgment and condemnation publicly on this sinner next to him. I mean, how dare the tax collector even be in the synagogue? The Pharisee is thinking, the scriptures are clear, the law is sure, I know it, I keep it, I am its protector. God is holy and cannot be mocked and he cannot be approached by this man because he's not clean enough. Whoops. The Pharisee missed it all. And oh, how often I am him thinking my church attendance, my devotion to scripture, my tithing and giving, my avoidance of gross and blatant sins of my own choosing. I think my own external shininess makes me just a little bit superior to those who struggle with visible sin, right? A little bit superior to those who sleep in on Sunday. And maybe their only giving is to their fantasy football pool or the QVC, you know, whoops, I'm a hypocrite. I don't mean to be. I was just trying to be a good Christian. I was just trying to do what God wants me to do. Isn't that what he wants? Isn't that what being a Christian's all about? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector stood at a distance because, well, partly because the jerk of a Pharisee called him out, <laughs> but also because he feels unworthy and hopeless. See, in order to be made right and welcomed back into his community, by law, he needs to pay back every single person he's cheated, plus an additional 20%. And maybe he's already spent his unlawful and immoral earnings on some sweet new sandals or an addition on his desert home. I mean, how can he pay back everyone he's cheated plus 
His situation is hopeless. And so he beats his breast. Somehow, this irreligious man, unlike the Pharisee, knows that though man looks on the outward self, God always, always, always looks at the heart. But also, beating one's breast is something only women did in the Middle Eastern culture as a sign of grief or mourning. This isn't something dudes did, you guys. I'm sure it was kind of yikes in the temple when he started to do it. But in contrast to the Pharisee who did all of his religious deeds to be seen and admired by other people, this broken sinner could have cared less about his image or his reputation because his only audience in that moment was God. And his plea for mercy from God is incredible. It's just incredible. Let me tell you a little bit of what I learned. The tax collector in this prayer did not use the typical Greek word for mercy here. That would have been the word elios, and I brought this so you could see it on the slide. Elios, have mercy on me. That was the typical Greek word. Instead, Jesus had him use a much more rare word for mercy. It was a word hardly ever used in the New Testament. He used the Greek word hilasterion, which literally means make an atonement for me. God, make an atonement for me because I'm a sinner. And he knew exactly what he was asking for. And it is so important that you and I understand it too. You and I who are so tempted every day to be play actors with God and with ourselves and with each other. See, in the temple, in the exact location this story is taking place, there is what is called the Holy of Holies. It's kind of a cordoned off special place where God's glory dwelled, the Jews believed. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, not the boat, the Ark, but the Ark of the Covenant, which was a kind of a holy box that contained the Ten Commandments. And over the Ark... I brought a picture of it. Over the ark was this gold slab or cover that was called, wait for it, it was called the hilasterion or the mercy seat. And it was on this slab or covering on this hilasterion that the blood of the lamb was spread on the one special day of the year when all the Jewish people's sins were atoned for, what's called the Day of Atonement or what we now know as Yom Kippur. And the Jews believed that the blood of the sacrificial lamb on that day, on the Day of Atonement, covered their sins, their failures to keep the law. All year long, there was a daily lamb offered up that kept them in right relationship to God. But at Yom Kippur, that happened once a year, the priest went into the Holy of Holies and the blood of the lamb was spread on the hilasterion, on the mercy seat, to cover all the ways they had broken the law. 
And this moment, this spreading the blood of the lamb on the hilasterion was a foreshadowing of what Christ did on the cross once and for all on the ultimate day of atonement, which was Good Friday. Remember in the very beginning of the gospels when John the Baptist saw Jesus from afar and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All the Jews knew what he was referring to. He was referring to the blood spread on the mercy seat, the hilasterion of God. So there in this very temple, this unshiny sinner, painfully, shamefully, publicly, thank you very much, Mr. Pharisee, aware of his own worthiness, with no good works to try to offer up to God. In his prayer, he's not just asking God to be nice to him. He's not asking God to let him off the hook because he showed up at the temple, you know? Forgive me, Father, for all my drinking I did this weekend because I came to church. He's not trying to make a bargain with God, but he is pleading that the atoning sacrifice of the blood of the lamb would apply to him. It is his only hope, and he knows it. In this exact moment of prayer, the listeners of this story that Jesus was telling knew, the lamb is slain, the blood is shed, the incense is rising, and this sinner is saying, God, may the blood of this lamb today, as well as the blood of the lamb on Yom Kippur, may it apply to me because I have no other hope than that the blood of the lamb and the atoning sacrifice atone for my sin. This is so beautiful to me, it takes my breath away. And it took the breath away of those who heard Jesus tell it, you can bet your boots, but for all the wrong reasons. Because then there comes this shocking conclusion. And it was absolutely unthinkable to Jesus' listeners. Jesus says this, He says, I tell you that this man, pointing to the tax collector, this sinner, this cheater, this swindler, this traitor to his own people, this man, rather than the other, pointing to the Pharisee, this holy, law-abiding, religious leader who has devoted his entire life to keeping the moral law, This man went home justified, legally pronounced innocent before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. And with this, the parable ends. Jesus says, This man, this tax collector, rather than the other. He didn't say this man and this guy too. 
He says, this man, this tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, was justified or legally declared not guilty before God. He is saying the Pharisee's prayer and attitude, his prayer of confidence in his own righteousness and dismissal of the tax collector, he's saying that man's prayer was not just a little tiny bit off the mark. Jesus was saying, and he says to us, it was fatal whoops, the one who thought he was clean remained dirty. The one who believed he was in because of his own good behavior might actually be out. And the one who pardoned himself just might still be condemned. This is the fatal flaw of the Pharisee. And it is why Jesus said prostitutes and tax collectors are often closer to the kingdom of God than religious people. For only the one who knows he is dirty can be made clean. And only the one who knows she should probably be out is in. And only those who throw themselves on the mercy, the hilasterion of God, the blood of the lamb, rather than their own external shininess, go home justified. Amen. Let's pray. God, it is so easy for us to slip over into religious showing off, play acting, thinking if we just fake it, you'll be pleased and people will think we're better than we really are. And we, we don't even really think that's such a bad thing. And yet, Jesus was so clear, self-righteousness condemnation of other people, thinking we're better, looking down on people, counting them as nothing, trying to tally up all the good things we do and offer that up to you as the reason you should love us is not just a small error, but it's a fatal flaw. Remind us again. Remind us again of the Hilasterian the mercy, the atoning blood of the Lamb, and remind every single one of us that it's our only hope. Amen.